morning. Pray uh, that this has been a week of delight for you in what we call the sacramental ordinary, just the blessings that we see all around us that uh, we may let go by easily if we're not tuned into them, but when we become aware of God's goodness in the world around us, we are uh, encouraged and we are reminded that He is always present. Um, I pray that we can breathe in Jesus and what He has uh, offered us in living water, uh, like that woman at the well today. And uh, I, I thank the uh, team for w- such a great uh, intro to our time together, preparing our hearts in that way. I uh, just want to remind you this morning, if you have any questions from the message, there's a text number for you. You can uh, text those questions in, and we do something called Wednesday Q&A while we'll get online and answer some of those questions um, as we go through with the message this morning. You're like, what in the world is that guy in that cardigan talking about? Just feel free to text those questions, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know what? We have been in a season, and uh, uh, actually this, this year began uh, with this, even December, as we begin to move into a time of studying and slowing down and resting in the presence of God, and set aside, setting aside time in order to do that specifically in our week. We've uh, gotten together in groups, 20 different groups meeting in different locations, and every day during the week we have groups meeting, and uh, we've been practicing the way of Jesus in Sabbath. Um, my prayer and my hope is that you're beginning to experience the beauty of that challenge Um, An amazing thing happens when you tune your life to focus on God in rest. A day a week, even a few hours a week, some of you are just doing it whenever you've got some space and you're making that space, and I just applaud you for that because change is challenging for us, especially in a world that just demands a constant level of intentional investment Uh, and it's time to slow down and to make that space. It's very difficult. Um, As you guys know, if you know me, I am an avid indoorsman. Uh, (laughs) On Friday, we finished up a conference down in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee that I go to every year. My family goes with me. It's called Winter Worship and Workshop. And uh, I run sound for that. My dad leads worship. My wife runs the media. Uh, Liam helped out in the back room as well. I did four presentations at that. The boys helped. Uh, they were on stage for those. And so it was a very full week. And uh, we, on Friday, had a time of really great rest there in that area. If you've ever been to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area, you know that's a place of beauty where you can have a real genuine rest. So on Friday, we drove down to Gatlinburg, and then we went south through town, and if you know that area, you come right out the bottom of Gatlinburg, and you're in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And we turned to the right, turned west towards a place called Cades Cove. Does anybody know, anybody been to Cades Cove? A few of you out there, very good. Um, so it's, you know, if you've been there, it's a long drive. It's a winding road, uh, miles and miles and miles and I think the speed limit's 40 miles an hour. And what I notice about myself as I'm driving through Gatlinburg is, I, is it is super kitsch, you know what I'm talking about, where it's uh, just tourist traps all around and there's lights and glitz, and I enjoy that. Like, it's fun to look at all that stuff. 
But there is something in my soul that just settles when I'm driving out in the forest and I'm seeing the beauty. And there is such a contrast between those two things in Gatlinburg because you're in the middle of all the kitchen then you're just in nature. And uh, you may have a preference between the two. And the question isn't really which one you like more. The question is, will you choose to enjoy God regardless of which environment that you are in? It's really a decision. We talk about in Sabbath, it's a good time to just go out and be in nature, to get away from the hustle and the bustle and put the cell phones in a box and go out and just be with the Lord in creation. But you know what else you can do? You can take a walk uh, over there at Small Grass Trail and see some beautiful things and, and connect those with God. But you can also, like we have done, take a walk through your neighborhood and just say, isn't that house pretty? Isn't it amazing what God put in the mind of human beings to be able to design and build such a thing? See, it's all about turning our hearts and our minds towards God, whatever environment that we are in, turning from the distractions of this world into the fact that God is to be acknowledged and worshipped in all things. Rest and delight can come wherever God is providing, and God is providing everywhere. This week, uh, we turn our hearts toward the last aspect of Sabbath that we are studying and embracing, and that is worship. We've talked about stopping, resting, delighting, and now worship. And this is the most important of the four challenges. I'm going to let most of the teaching on this be done by your weekly videos and your discussion time that you're going to have in your groups but I, I do want to use what you're covering in the final session to help frame what I'm going to be sharing about this morning. And so we're going to go back again to Genesis chapter 2. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been looking at creation story and how God reveals himself in creation. And we see that God created the world in six days, but the creation uh, narrative is not finished because he's going to rest on the seventh. And so we say it like this, that God's product is finished but his process is not so God reveals to us a seventh day of rest and in Genesis chapter 2 at the beginning of the chapter we see what he did on that day verse 2 Genesis 2 by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work so God stops and he rests and then God blesses the seventh day and made it holy. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Last week we talked about him blessing the seventh day, and that word blessing means happy, made happy, or, sorry, being made full to the point of being happy. There's so much in, in that, that word, but if you were to sum it all up, it is joy and blessing, happiness, delight that comes from fullness. But he doesn't stop at blessing. It says also that he made it holy. Now what does holy mean? Simply it means set apart, to set something apart. So you might have some fine china at home and you probably don't get that out for kids' birthday parties, right? It is set apart for a purpose. This is what holy means, set apart, unlike any other. There is something that this is specifically for. Well, what is Sabbath? What is this day set apart for? 
Exodus, we find out about what it is set apart for. In the, in the book of Exodus, we find out that it is set apart unto the Lord. It's dedicated to Him. So it's not just for stopping, resting, delighting, but it's also for worship. And pri- we, we should say primarily for worship because isn't there a danger that we could make Sabbath a lot about us? Stop rest delight i mean if you're not careful you start to get the picture of that guy with a little glass of lemonade and two people fanning him in the back you know feed me a grape ah, sabbath it's so delightful <laughs> but what it is is it's an opportunity to look at all of our lives to recenter our lives and to worship our God. In, in the biblical sense, worship, we think of worship maybe as a, maybe a music service or something that we do in, in terms of prayer, and those are, very, those are very true things, but worship is such a much bigger idea. And worship really is about taking all of our senses and attuning them to God in all things. So it's looking out the car window at Cade's Cove as you drive by and marveling at the beauty of the river that you're driving alongside and the gorgeous setting when you're there. But it's also marveling at your granddaughter's smile as she looks up at you. It's also smelling that steak that is getting done on the grill. You know what I'm talking about. Just let me say amen right now, Father, right? Just that smell. Lord, I want to glorify you in these good things. I want to worship you because you're the giver of good things. We see these things, we experience them, we experience them and a heart of worship says, i got to thank somebody for this. I mentioned in the Q&A video a quote from G.K. Chesterton that I love, and it's this, as the atheist sees beauty but has no one to thank and thus no one to be happy in. What a sad moment when you experience something like Sabbath rest and the delight that comes from it and you want to say thank you, but there's no one there. This is where ultimately the beauty of rest is where it sends us directly into worship. It is the call to take dedicated time to lay ourselves and our lives before Him, to turn our hearts toward Him, all things, putting everything else under Him and putting ourselves firmly in His care. This is worship. If you struggled at all with the idea of Sabbath for a New Testament Christian, know that at the heart it is simply to dedicate time to enthrone him again in a world that constantly is intentionally trying to get us to enthrone other things in our lives you may have heard this before the question is not whether or not you will worship the question is what will you worship we love to elevate things to positions of importance and then align our lives under them so sabbath is a time to rest and relocate that which is most essential to its place of prominence and that is our God above all things even good things that we may have elevated above him these things he calls idols at that point the created above the creator I can't wait for you to study this further this week in your groups and that's a little preview of what's coming it really is I believe the best of all the lessons on Sabbath that that we share in in this study I'd like to take my time this week, this morning, to talk about the endurance of rest. 
When we began our challenge in Sabbath, actually the week before we stepped into this, about a month ago, we talked about potential roadblocks to entering this part of the way of Jesus, to setting aside time to really just shut down and be present with the Lord and present in community with each other. And some of those challenges I'll just remind you of right now and some of the answers to them. So number one, we said, you know, a challenge is that this is very foreign and it is uncomfortable and I said you know what we can start small then start where you are not where you think you should be God meets us where we are and that's a blessing right so I can't do a 24-hour period of rest that's not possible for me one hour start with an hour start with a few hours after church on Sunday wherever you can start start small the reason I bring these things back up again is because now we are continuing this after four weeks of study right and this is still true. Secondly, I can't add one more thing to my life right now. And you may be very accurate on that. And so we give you the challenge of think subtraction, not addition. There are things in our lives that are not necessary, that can be removed. We just have to examine them and then say what is of most importance. Thirdly, I've tried before and nothing really changed, and we found there that there is no formation without repetition. We'll try things, and we'll say, you know what, I, I, I tried that diet for, for two and a half whole weeks, right? But there is no change without repetition over and over again, and so hopefully three weeks in, you're starting to, if you're on this journey with us, and many are, you're starting to experience the beauty that comes in the repetition of rest. And finally, we said, I don't feel the weight you are describing. And to that, I say, if, if that is true, you are a desert flower. You are unique in this culture. And if that's the case, then it's your time to serve those who don't have what you have. So many struggle in our world just for a few moments of stress-free living, of moments without uh, constant responsibility. And if that is you, in the majority of your time, you have an amazing ministry to share with others right now. Today, I'd like to remove one key obstacle to continuing on this path as we finish up our four-group study journey, because it would be an absolute tragedy for us to only engage in the way of Jesus for four weeks at a time. We want to continue the rhythms of life that God provides beyond a four-week study to continue to grow in the Sabbath rest that God has built into the rhythms of creation. So here's a potential challenge to moving forward in this practice. You know what, I like it, I get it, but the the obstacle may be for you that you just don't feel like it's necessary. It's nice thought for some people, just not for me. Well, I support people who stop and rest intentionally, but I don't need to really do that myself. I'm fine with my life rhythm without intentional rest with God. And I want to encourage you, because my heart is for you on this. If this is where you're at, if you just look at this, you know, I, I, eh. I just want to challenge you with this. To write off Sabbath rest is to write off Jesus himself. To write off Sabbath rest is to write off Jesus himself. Now remember, 
This is not a legalistic invitation. It is, it is not law invitation. It's an invitation to a rule of life, which if you study the video, you know what I'm referring to. But it is an invitation simply to stop and to rest and to delight and worship him above all. To realign our lives consistently over and over again because there's a natural drift away from God if we're not careful. To write all that off is to say, I I don't desire to focus on you in this way, Jesus. To say to him, your way is nice for some people, but I'm not interested. That is to diminish the lordship of Jesus in our lives and dangerously elevate even good things above him for some this makes a lot of sense but perhaps perhaps there's some pushback in some hearts here right now and it might sound like the initial pushback that was in my heart when I began to study this and it sounded this way hey this is a really nice idea but that Sabbath thing is Old Testament law And we are not under Old Testament law anymore. And you're right, partially. But also, you're very wrong if you think that Old Testament law doesn't have any meaning for you. In fact, Old Testament tells us a great deal about who God is. And remember that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And I'd like to encourage you not to let this thinking get in the way of being drawn close to Jesus in this rhythm of rest and delight and worship and realignment of him at the top of your life. So let's just briefly this morning address this thought. Sabbath is Old Testament law and we don't live under Old Testament law anymore. Let's talk about it, uh, how it originated. We, we've seen it in creation. But later, Sabbath is given to the people of Israel just as God rested on the seventh day. Right? We see that as the rationale, as the Sabbath commands given in the Ten Commandments. Just as God rested, now you shall rest. He gave you a model, now you do the model. For them, it was a day of honor and worship sacrifices were made and given to the Lord so worship was not a violation of Sabbath they got together in their holy places and they gave God worship songs were sung like Psalm 92 if you want something to read on your Sabbath this week you can you can read from Psalm 92 a psalm that was sung and celebrated in Sabbath celebrations the Old Testament The legal penalties for breaking Sabbath were pretty intense for those folks. In fact, to not keep Sabbath was to reveal that you were not interested in the covenant that God had made with his people. And for those folks back then, the penalty for not keeping Sabbath was death. So, anybody in big trouble this week? Uh, uh oh right this is a big big deal are we in big trouble if we don't get sabbath right well no why well when jesus talks about his mission he will sometimes start with what he didn't come to do and then follow with what he came to do so maybe you'll be in a conversation you're like no i don't mean this i mean this and it helps with clarity right so for example 
in John chapter 3. Remember John 3, 16? We all know that one. But the following verse goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world. This is Jesus speaking. God did not send me into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Didn't come to do this. I came to do this. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Didn't come to do this. I came to do this. Luke 12, 51. Here's a tough one. Do you think I came to bring, bring peace on earth? No, I tell you division. Well, don't we sing peace on earth, goodwill to men at Christmas time? That's peace between God and man. But the gospel of Jesus, as it transforms hearts, will turn others away and there will be division amongst people so I didn't come to do this I did come to do this well here's another one of those moments and it relates to what we're talking about today Matthew chapter 5 you guys know I love the Sermon on the Mount it is the place where Jesus sets the pace and sets the tone for his whole ministry on earth and he talks about what kingdom people are supposed to be like Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay, there's, the, there's the what I haven't come to do. I have not come to say this thing is worthless and it's gone. I have come to not come to abolish them, but to, big difference, fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until, until all is accomplished. Not a T will be left uncrossed. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So does Jesus just come and say, yeah, all that law stuff, forget that. No, he actually gives it great value, and that makes sense because he created it. He comes to fulfill the law. He comes to do what we could not do for ourselves. It's not that the Ten Commandments all of a, all of a sudden become worthless because Jesus came. You know that thing that we, we wish that we, we would keep in the in the, the, the courts of the Supreme Court, and we value the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, don't take them out of these. But, well, of course they're, they're not devoid of value. Nobody says, thou shalt not kill. Ha! That's old law. Kill away. You having a bad day? Right? Nobody says, uh, see, Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Ha! Forget that! Forget you, mom and dad. That's old covenant stuff. Nobody says, do not commit adultery. Well, you know what? I'll just sleep around with anybody in the neighborhood because that's old covenant since Jesus came. So what has Jesus done? He has freed us from the covenantal nature of these laws. He has freed us from the necessity of us getting all of them right in order to be saved. He has fulfilled the old covenant and freed us from the eternal penalty of these laws. He has taught us that we have actually broken all of them. It's just a few verses later, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say don't be angry with your brother. That's a matter of the heart. 
If you're angry, if you're hateful, if you have malice towards somebody, it's the same as murdering them. Anybody get cut off in traffic? Did you know you're a murderer? I think I murdered a few people driving to Tennessee this past week. You remember Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say that anybody who looks at another person as a sexual object has committed adultery with them in his heart. I think there's some adulterers here. We find out that there is a, a heart that has to be adjusted, that, that Jesus is driving towards, and we realize that uh, he doesn't mention every rule in the Old Testament, every, every law in the Old Testament in that section, but he helps us to understand how to think of them in the new. They are not to us, but they are for us. So Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it, and he gives us an even greater standard to follow the heart of the law without all the legalistic rules because he, he fulfilled them. He challenges his listeners to bring the outward practice and the inner reality together. And if you're, you're carefully listening to what, to what he's teaching, it leads us towards grace and not more legalism. There are people who hold different positions on whether or not we have to keep Sabbath legalistically. You may know a group called the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, I think that there are a couple passages in the New Testament, Colossians 2 and Romans 14, that are pretty conclusive that that is not a binding law for us. However, just like idols and oaths and murder and adultery and honoring parents, there is a heart underneath the rule that we now follow. The practice is not irrelevant. It simply does not save. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Only Jesus saves. Would you say that with me just so we make sure we're driving that home? Only Jesus saves. One more time. Only Jesus saves. And now we live in the beauty of that gift from him. Okay? What a freedom. What a wonder. What a gift we have been given. Now that said, I'd like to just finish up with a few times that Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees. He got in trouble more times for this offense than any other issue in his time on earth. What was the issue? Does anybody know? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Working on the Sabbath. Breaking the Sabbath. Well, that's not a good way to end a series on Sabbath keeping. Follow the way of Jesus. Now go and break it, right? Didn't, you didn't plan this well, Jeff. <laughs> now, here's, here's the real question, okay? Did Jesus ever break Sabbath law? Did Jesus ever break Sabbath law? It's not a trick question, but just think about it in these terms. If Jesus broke any of the law, then he was a sinner. We know Jesus was without sin. So did Jesus ever break Sabbath law? The answer is no, absolutely not. What he was accused of breaking was the way the viol he violated the interpretations of religious leaders that had developed and become very legalistic around him. 
And so it broke his heart because they were so missing the heart of Sabbath. Breaking the Jewish law would, would have been a sin, right? Scripture repeatedly tells us Jesus was sinless. When, when Jesus, though, when he does provocative stuff, like stuff that makes people frustrated and angry, it's really worth looking at it. Because Jesus doesn't go out and intentionally just become a, a troublemaker or a rabble-rouser. So when he does it, it must be worth it. So why did he do this? Um, Norman Wiersbe is a professor of Christian theology, and he says, Jesus does not obliterate Sabbath teaching, but reframes it so we can see, once again, with renewed emphasis, what creation's ultimate meaning is. He reframes it. In just the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, there are three Sabbath stories. Two happen in a synagogue, and one happens out in a field. I just want to share with you one today. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. This is the second book in the New Testament, and it is the shortest of the Gospels, because Mark just gets to the point. He skips Christmas altogether. He goes straight to John the Baptist. 21 verses in, he's already in Jesus' ministry in a town called Capernaum, which is a town right on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is going into the synagogue, the place of worship, on Sabbath. Verse 21 is where we're at, Mark chapter 1. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Okay, so remember the way of Jesus, we follow it. What's he doing? A part of rest is that you can be teaching you. What are they doing? They're worshiping. Remember, there were, there were, there were um, sacrifices done on the Sabbath. So this is the natural place where people would be. And they were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't using notes. Wow. Verse 23, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. What a scene. What a crazy scene. And they were all amazed. All the people were amazed. So they questioned amongst themselves, saying, What in the world did we just see? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, the sea there, all around it. So what's going on on Sabbath? What does Jesus do on Sabbath? Well, he's where the people are. He's worshiping with them. And he's serving people in community. Now this is, uh, I'll show you a picture. This is the synagogue presently in Capernaum. And this synagogue was built right around the mid-third century after Jesus and that's because people would come into these towns and they would wreck things and then things would be rebuilt but I want to give you a little more context on what you're looking at there so sorry about the close-up on my face but this is a little video from when I was there this past year so this one was built in the late 300s um, but if you, I'll take you and I'll show you something. So, this is the actual. 
So that would have been what it looked like with people sitting around the court. See the, the, uh, the seating, the two seats. They would sit around the edges, and the teaching would take place in the middle at a podium, basically, kind of like this. Trying to be respectful of people. Uh, that's the synagogue that was built on top of the synagogue. So many times people come in here and destroy things, you know. Um, and then they would, and it would change hands and be rebuilt again. But that's uh, the third century version. But here's the cool thing: is you can come down here and see the black stones. And that is the floor of the synagogue at Jesus' time. So this absolutely was the place where he spoke and healed the man that uh, had the demon that interrupted him and said, what does he say? You come to destroy us. And he said, silence them and told them to come out. And there's a, I think it's Josephus who says, that uh, Jesus went up three steps into the synagogue. I don't have any goosebumps left. So I spent a lot of time on those steps. <laughs> this is where my Savior walked, and this is a place where he... Uh, Sabbath and he rested and, and he was in community with people in worship they were amazed at what he did there he wasn't using notes he spoke with, as one with authority he used authority so what happens next on Jesus Sabbath day verse 29 let's keep going and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So he enters the, the home of, of Peter. This is after the morning service, and he makes uh, the journey to the house. Now, one thing that amazed me about being in the Holy Land is how very small these little towns are. So... There is a, a site, and the way that, I remember I told you that the sites in the Holy Land, they're rated like ABC sites. Uh, a is we are within just about 99% certainty that this event happened here. B is we're pretty sure this happened here. And C is here's a place to remember what happened somewhere in the land of Israel. <laughs> Now, this is an A site, and the way that those sites became A sites is the earlier that people built a church on the site to commemorate what happened there, the, the easier it is to trust that that is the site of it, and that's exactly what happened here just a couple of centuries after uh, it happened. So people from the area would have known what happened. They said, oh, yeah, that, that happened right there, and then Christianity became legal, and so they started building churches on those sites. And so a church is built just about 30 yards from the synagogue over one of these first century houses that indicates where Jesus went into the house of Simon and healed his mother-in-law. 
So that's what I'm going to show you here. There's now a modern church built over top of it, but you'll see a little bit more in the video. Go ahead. This site uh, has been set aside as a holy site, uh, and they knew that from the way that the walls were built. And this was a, a church. Um, this is how they would build churches back then when Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire. Um, so they would build churches around holy sites. And so the thing that happened here was the healing of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. So... You can see the actual place where that happened. I will show you. Right there. So he goes to this house about 30 yards away on Sabbath, comes into the home, mother-in-law's sick. He comes to her bed and he heals her of her fever. Look what it says in the last verse. Notice what happened after she is healed in verse 31. She began to serve them. <laughs> and the word here is diakoneo, and that is... Diakonos is the word we get deacon from in the Greek. In the Latin, that word gets tra translated to ministerio. Deacon, minister, servant. So she becomes a servant, but the idea with this word here in, in context is she served in community with those who were in community in her home. Her health was restored so she could participate in the ministry to those who were in her house. What does Sabbath look like for Jesus? Morning worship ends, and he goes to a friend's house, and they enjoy serving one another, having a meal together. Notice the next sentence, verse 32. That evening at sundown. What happens at sundown on Sabbath? It's over. Okay. Sundown, the day ends. The new day begins. And so what happens at sundown? At sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, why did they come at sundown? Well, they were all enjoying Sabbath at home together. And so now sundown's out. It's time to get to work. We gotta go find that healer guy. And he healed many who were sick. Jesus goes to work with various diseases. He casts out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It wasn't time to share that yet. See, Jesus really goes to work after Sabbath. The, the worship, the community, the stopping, the resting, the delighting, the gathering together for the glory of God and blessing those in community. And then he goes to work and he continues to do the same thing, energized by his time of Sabbath. As you look, at the other examples of Jesus breaking Sabbath, you will find the same heart 
Whether he is in a synagogue and he heals the withered hand of a man who's struggling there, or he's in the field with his disciples and they're gathering grain to have together, to eat together in community, Jesus says to all the complainers and the protesters that are so legalistic about their Sabbath rules, he says, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath, and I am Lord over all of it. So what Jesus does is he changes the outward expression of Sabbath, but he did not change the inner spirit of it. In fact, just like the way he revealed the heart of the law in other areas, he reveals the heart of Sabbath. He satisfies the Sabbath command because he's Lord of the Sabbath. And now, our rest isn't just found in a rhythm of stopping once a week and giving God glory. It is found in Jesus himself because he satisfied our needs. He has made account for all of the law that we could not keep. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and in him we cease from our toils, and we find complete rest in our souls. Apart from our self-effort to make all things right, we can't do it. When we rest in Christ, not just one day a week, but Always, because we've spent time with him and we've elevated him to that place of ultimate worship and honor, it informs the way we live the rest of our lives in the rest of his care. And so Sabbath now is a foreshadowing. Just as it was before, it is a foreshadow and now even more so of the eternal rest that we will enjoy in Jesus. When we stop for a moment and we elevate him above all and we rest and we delight and we worship, what we're doing is we're getting just a little peace. We're experiencing a little moment of the delight and the rest and the joy that we will have in him for eternity when we all go home to be with him because of what he has done. So don't stop resting. Don't stop stopping. Don't stop delighting. And don't stop worshiping. There's an old hymn I used to sing when I was a kid. We sing it here occasionally. Some of you know it well, and some of you maybe don't know it at all, but it goes like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I think the writer may have had some Sabbath experience. Because when I'm in, in, in Christ and I experience his fullness and I turn my heart and my mind towards him in all things, oh, it's a foretaste of a glory divine that is coming. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. See, this is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior not just on Sunday morning. I'm praising him all the day long. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Oh, man, I think this guy's experienced Sabbath. Visions of rapture now burst in my sight. See, I'm changing my perspective. All things lead me to the throne of Christ, to enthrone him above all things. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. My whole vision of the world around me is changing. Perfect submission. All is at, you guys know the word? Oh, you do. All is at rest. Hmm. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. More delight. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Turning my vision away from the things of this world. Elevating Jesus again. 
filled with his goodness. I'm lost in his love because this is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. Don't stop stopping. Don't stop resting. Don't stop delighting. Don't stop worshiping. It's a foretaste of glory divine that we will enjoy with him forever. And it is delight for now. Until then. We invite you to continue this journey with us. And if you are, are new to us and you'd like to know more about what this whole thing is about, uh, you kind of caught us in the uh, mid-stride here, and I'd love to share more with you. If you have questions about it, be sure to text that number, and I'll be sharing more about it during the week. But let's go to God in prayer, and let's thank Him for the delight of rest in Him now and rest forever. This, Father, we say thank you for and we give you worship and praise for. And Father, in this time, in this place, we elevate you again. We, we place you on the throne above all things in our lives, good things that are not you. Father, we, 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 we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And these moments of worship, may they be directly from our heart this morning as we sing songs of praise. And these are a reflection of the deep love for, that we have for you in our lives and a reflection of the rest that we have found in Christ and that we look forward to in forever with you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sabbath is countercultural because it asks you to stop. And if I've noticed anything from my workspace or culture, it seems like the hustle is glorified. It's almost like if you don't stop, then how will you get your dreams, which isn't actually true. So I feel like Sabbath says no in a very rebellious way, but in a gentle way, because it says, no, I refuse to be a slave to my desires. My biggest motivation to continue Sabbath is who I'm becoming. I find that I'm becoming a more restful person. I pay more attention to my surroundings. And I don't always get that right because some weeks I'm like, that wasn't really restful. <laughs> what should I do next week? That's different, you know? But I think choosing to engage and choosing to come back, I do find that I'm becoming more like him. I'm not in an uber spiritual way, but in a I'm facing myself way. Like, oh, this thing is hurting you. You should probably process that with Jesus so he can meet you where you are. But I, I love who I'm becoming. I feel like I'm more reliant on people as well. So my Sabbaths are a mix of time by myself and time at the table with uh, Sabbath kin. So it looks like Friday dinners, eating Tam's bread and laughing by the fireplace. So I do feel like I'm being formed by being around people who, whose vision is Jesus, who want to become more like him, who have a fire in their heart for what he's given them. So who I'm becoming is my biggest motivation and the gift of his presence in those moments, especially when the weeks are chaotic. When I just pause, I'm like, everything's okay. He's still here, he's present. So it helps me be in tune with his voice.